welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Father God, we thank you for drawing us together as you have, and I pray as always that I'd not get in the way of what you plan to do, but that you would speak. Lord, we pray that you would lead us into all truth, to the glory of Christ's name and the extension of his kingdom. Amen. In this, our final lesson on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we'll be covering the last two spiritual gifts that appear in the New Testament. In past lessons, we've seen Paul describe the church as being rather like a body made up of different members. It's an interconnected unit where each part is essential to the right working of the whole. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 to 10, he revealed how the Holy Spirit gives different gifts to different Christ followers for the common good of the church. He says, To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. In any group of Christ followers, there will be a wide variety of gifts, but Each gift is given at the discretion of the Holy Spirit, who gives them to individuals just as he determines. Now, in verse 27 to 28 of that same chapter, Paul again emphasized their unity before listing some of the gifts that the Corinthian church was familiar with. He says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. You may notice that Paul mentions in his list the spiritual gift of guidance, which he hasn't mentioned before. We'll look at that more closely in a moment. But for now, I want you to notice that he asks some interesting rhetorical questions there in verse 29 through 30. Rhetorical questions are really used more to make a statement than to get any information. He asks, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Based on what he had taught them earlier about the diverse gifts given by the Holy Spirit to each person who believes in Christ, the answer to all of his questions here was very evidently no. 
everyone is equipped with different gifts, and though it seems that no one gift is given to everyone, he concludes in verse 31 with the encouragement that they should eagerly desire the greater gifts, those that are most beneficial to the body as a whole. So let's go back and look at the spiritual gift of guidance that's mentioned here. In other versions of the scriptures, this gift is also known as the gift of administration. And the original Greek word that Paul uses here is very interesting. It is kubernesis, a word that referred to the person who would safely steer ships through the rocks in a harbor. These people had the expertise to guide a vessel through hazards that others wouldn't even know were there. In a similar way, people with the spiritual gift of administration typically are able to steer others in the body, helping them to remain on course to accomplish all that God desires. Administration is considered a team gift because it organizes people to accomplish an objective. And without this kind of leadership, even great ideas can dissolve into chaos. Those with the gift of administration see the big picture. They sense who would handle a project well and don't mind calling people and recruiting volunteers for projects. They're often excellent delegators. The gift of administration can look different depending on the personality or leadership style of the individual who has it. Some prefer working with people, organizing leadership teams and groups of volunteers, while others prefer working with programs. They feel more comfortable behind the scenes, planning events that benefit the whole church. Several people spring to mind as having this gift in the scriptures. In the book of Genesis, for example, Joseph showed himself to have this gift even very early in his life. Sold into slavery by his jealous brothers and ending up in the household of an Egyptian official named Potiphar, Joseph stood out among the other servants. Genesis 39 verses 3 to 5 records that when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household, and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Joseph was later unjustly thrown into prison, but even there his gifts were evident. Genesis 39 verses 22 to 23 records that the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. 
finally released from prison, Joseph's administrative ability was recognized by Pharaoh, who set him over all of Egypt in Genesis 41-43. And over the next 14 years, Joseph, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, enacted his God-given plan that not only prepared the nation of Egypt for a coming famine, but also provided a way for the people of Israel, the people through whom the Messiah would come, to survive the catastrophe. And as only God can do, he also restored Joseph's family to him. It is a beautiful account. I encourage you to go and read it and meditate on it. A second example of the gift of administration comes from the book of Acts. Chapter 6 tells us about an administrative problem that could have had divisive and devastating effects on the early church in Jerusalem. Some of the widows were being left out of the daily distribution of food. And if you remember, Stephen, who it seems had the gift of administration, was given the task of supervising a team of men to address the issue. The work of that team enabled the apostles to do the critical work of praying and preaching. And as a result, the word of God continued to go forth. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and even a great many number of the Jewish priests came to have faith in Jesus. So, How might you know that you have the gift of administration? Well, do you have the ability to see the big picture and what needs to happen as well as how to get there? Do you find it easy and enjoyable to organize people, resources, and programs? Can you do so in a positive way that people respond to? Are your plans effective? Are you a team player? Do you find satisfaction in helping a group meet their goals, whether you get credit or not? If you see yourself in this description, you may well have the spiritual gift of administration. We have seen that Paul had much to say about spiritual gifts over the course of his writing, but it was the Apostle Peter who mentioned the final gift that we'll cover he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The letter of 1 Peter was sent to many churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. These believers were facing severe persecution. Living as those who followed Christ was very dangerous for them. 
So Peter's reminder that the end of all things is near would have strengthened their hope in the Lord's soon return. What a powerful motivation that is, though, to realize that none of us know how much time we have left. The Lord could return or we could be called home at any moment ourselves. None of us knows for sure how long we have before we stand in God's presence. And so, in light of that truth, Peter calls all believers to be alert and of sober mind. Other versions translate this to be, be serious and watchful. And we do that so that we can pray. Prayer is the most important part of our service for the Lord because it keeps us in sync with God's priorities and it allows God to direct our thoughts, words and actions to the fullest extent possible for His glory and His kingdom. We need to be alert, listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit as we prayerfully and lovingly seek to use whatever gift we've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Whatever we do, whether we speak or serve in some way, we should do so with the strength that God provides, remembering that it is God who should receive all praise for the glory and power belong to him alone. In the midst of his instructions, Peter refers to another gift of the Spirit that isn't always recognized or included in lists. He urges them to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Despite their difficult circumstances and the significant risk it might pose, these persecuted Christians were being asked to make people, even strangers, feel welcome in their own homes and churches. As Christ followers today, we're being asked to do the same. When my husband and I lived in Africa, we fellowshiped at a small church in the town where we lived, and our home phone number was used as the contact number for the church. One night the phone rang around 9pm and when I answered, a man told me that he was trying to reach the church for assistance. He explained that he and another male friend were missionaries on their way to Zambia, but their vehicle had broken down and they would have to wait a few days for it to be repaired. They couldn't afford a room at any of the local hotels, and so they were calling to see if anyone from the church would be willing to have them stay. Initially, I felt a bit concerned as there was no guarantee that the person on the phone was telling the truth, and it was very late. But he explained that when they didn't know what to do, God had led them to check the local newspaper where they saw an advertisement for the church with our phone as the contact number. As I listened, I looked at some artwork I had hung on the wall over the phone, and there I read the words of Hebrews 13 verse 2, saying, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Immediately realizing that God wanted us to obey his word, 
My husband went to collect the men while I readied something for them to eat and made up beds. As I recall, they stayed with us for two days on that trip and continued to stay with us every other time they were passing through. We all became really good friends and we were glad to help them as they worked to expand God's kingdom. All of us are called to offer hospitality. However, there are some who operate in this as their spiritual gift. Having the ability to make people, even complete strangers, feel welcome in their own home or in the church as a means to disciple or serve them. There are many examples of people operating in the gift of hospitality in the New Testament. The first one I'd like us to look at is Lydia, who lived in Philippi. We learn in Acts 16 that she was originally from Thyatira, but she lived in the city of Philippi where she sold purple cloth for a living, a very profitable business in fact. Apparently she believed in the God of Israel and she joined the Jews in their custom of meeting for prayer by a river in any city that did not have a synagogue of its own. When Paul arrived in Philippi, he preached to the Jews gathered down by the river, and Luke reveals in Acts 16 verse 14 that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message about Christ. Lydia and her whole household were baptized, and guided by the Holy Spirit, she immediately issued Paul and his friends an invitation. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. It seems that Paul, Silas and Luke stayed with her for some time and eventually the new church in Philippi began to meet in her home. Another member of the early church who was well known for their spiritual gift of hospitality was Gaius of Corinth. Paul had visited Corinth on his second missionary journey, where, according to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 14, Gaius was one of the two people he baptized there. Later on, near the end of Paul's third missionary trip, he stayed at the home of Gaius in Corinth while writing his letter to the church at Rome. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 16 verse 3 that Gaius was not only host to him, but to the whole church, meaning that this man frequently helped traveling church members at great risk to himself. And did you notice that Paul says hospitality is to be shown without grumbling? This isn't a matter of discipline or duty, The person with the spiritual gift of hospitality has a special way of making guests and strangers feel at ease in their homes or in the church. They communicate an openness and cheerfulness in the way that they include everyone and help meet their needs. Hospitality was an indispensable gift in the growth of the early church, and it can greatly enrich our churches today. If you're wondering if this is a gift you have received from the Holy Spirit, ask yourself the following questions. 
Do I find it easy to reach out to new people in my church community in order to make them feel welcome and comfortable? Do I gladly sign up for hosting guest speakers, missionaries or foreign students? Do I enjoy having guests in my home? Do I cheerfully accept the little bit of effort that hospitality requires? Am I able to think more about my guests than about myself or how I am serving? If your answer to these questions is yes, this may very well be one of your spiritual gifts. Over the past several weeks, though, we've learned that all believers are sealed with the Holy Spirit upon believing in Jesus, but we need to be filled with the Spirit in order to carry out the work that God has called each of us to do. Spiritual gifts are given to us by the Holy Spirit for the common good of the church, and we should see ourselves like the many parts of a body. Each part is different but necessary for the right working of the whole as we serve one another in love. It's not surprising then that we are to discover and develop our spiritual gifts in community as well. We should never assume that we have a spiritual gift if that is not confirmed in some way by others. We've learned about the gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament, how those with the gift of apostleship often serve as missionaries planting churches in new areas. Those with the gift of prophecy either foretell God's future plan to the church or they communicate a specific message from him to individuals or groups. Those that have the gift of evangelism have a special ability to communicate the truth of salvation to others, no matter where they are or who they're with. The shepherds or pastors among us have a God-given ability to help others grow in their faith. They look out for the spiritual welfare of others, helping them become more obedient disciples of Christ. While those with the spiritual gift of teaching explain scripture in a clear and uncomplicated manner that people can understand and put into practice. Individuals with the gift of service or helps are often the first to recognize and meet the physical and practical needs of others with compassion and grace. People who display a unique ability to help others gain a positive emotional and spiritual perspective on their circumstances have the gift of encouragement, while those with the gift of giving tend to have a strong sense of stewardship. Regardless of how much they own, they realize that everything they have is not their own. It belongs to God, and so they give generously to worthwhile projects and ministries as directed by the Lord. Those with the gift of leadership can not only determine where God wants a group to go, they can also help them get there. People with this gift are able to influence others to serve God at their highest potential. Individuals with the spiritual gift of mercy 
are sensitive to the hurts of others and not only have an unusual ability to understand the feelings of those who are in distress, they're willing to take the time to minister to them. Whereas those with the spiritual gift of wisdom can speak biblical truth in such a way as to skillfully help others to apply it to particular life situations, those with the gift of the word of knowledge are able to understand God's word at a deep level and are able to connect truths together in such a way as to bring greater insight of scripture and God's will to the church. Believers with the spiritual gift of faith are able to encourage others to trust God even in the face of apparently insurmountable odds, while those with discernment of spirits are able to recognize the true intentions of people and the spiritual influences at work in their lives or circumstances. Those with this gift are able to test the messages and actions of others for the protection and well-being of the church. God gives some the spiritual gift of administration to help organize ideas, resources, time and people effectively to accomplish God-given goals. And apart from the undeniable gifts of miracles, healings, tongues and the interpretation of tongues, which are not normally found on spiritual gift assessment tests, we also learned about those with the gift of hospitality, people who are not only able to make guests and strangers feel at ease in their homes, but who are able to integrate new members into the church body by making them feel welcome and included. You know, there are many places that the Lord can gift us and use us in his body, the church. Ask him to reveal to you the gifts that he has given to you. I would suggest that you pray and even fast as you seek God's direction. And remember, we can't presume to have a spiritual gift simply because we've been trained in that area. For example, though you may be a school teacher, it does not necessarily mean that you will have the spiritual gift of teaching God's word. Or if you run your own business or have a management position in a corporation, you may not have the gifts of leadership or administration. This is not something that we do for God in our own strength or in our own capacity. A spiritual gift is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit as he works in us and through us for the common good. And as such, all the credit for the work accomplished must go to God himself. We may suspect that we know what our spiritual gifts are, but let me encourage you to never assume that you have a spiritual gift if the truth of that is not confirmed in some way by others. Once you begin to suspect you have a certain spiritual gift, ask God to give you some obvious opportunities to use it. Ask him to help you show his love for others as you exercise it.
By joining us for this study, you've made a great start in discovering and developing your spiritual gifts. And as we conclude, let me encourage you to continue to learn about the gifts you've been given. Read good Christian books about the gifts you believe you have. Identify other, more mature believers in the church who seem to have the same gift as you and ask them to guide you as you begin to step out in faith to exercise your gift. We have a work to do in the Lord's power. And as we earnestly seek Him, I know from my own experience that He will supernaturally equip us to do all that He has called us to do. May God bless you as you continue to seek Him. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.